Welcome to the Healthcare Quality Podcast, sharing tools, tips, and techniques for healthcare quality improvement with a special focus on managing data. Here's the latest update. Hello and welcome to the Healthcare Quality Podcast. My name is David Kashmir. I'm a trauma and acute care surgeon, and I'm also a Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt. I have a strong focus on quality and healthcare. You all have probably heard the catchphrase volume to value to describe the current transition in healthcare. It's based on this idea that healthcare volume of services should no longer be the focus when it comes to reimbursement and performance. Instead of being reimbursed, a fee per service episode for this volume of care, healthcare is transitioning toward reimbursement with a focus on value provided by the care given. In fact, the Department of Health and Human Services has recently called for 50% or more of payments to health systems to be value-based by 2018. Now, for this particular entry, I invite you to visit the blog as some of the charts, graphs, and data we'll discuss are present on there. This particular entry follows on the heels of a book I recently completed on just that topic called Volume to Value. Now, do you know what's not in that book, by the way? What's not in the book is one clear metric on how exactly to measure value across services. And that matters because, after all, like Peter Drucker said, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Well, an entire book on value in healthcare and not one metric which points right to it? Well, why not? And by the way, some people aren't sure that Peter Drucker actually said that. Like all great quotations, there's some sort of element of myth behind it. But whoever said it, it's a thought that many of us in quality improvement have had for some time. It's really challenging to manage something if there's no good way to measure it. Well, here's why there's no value metric in the book Volume to Value and in many books on value in healthcare. Why is there no clear value metric? Well, one reason, in healthcare, we don't yet agree on exactly what value means. For example, in the blog entry, we link to several definitions on value from professional societies in medicine. It turns out there are many. There are a lot of different definitions of value circulating in healthcare. We can talk about ways to improve value by decreasing cost of care and increasing uh, by decreasing cost of care and increasing quality of care, but we don't have one clear metric on value, in part because really we don't yet agree on what uh, the exact definition or what a clear definition of value is. Well, in this entry, I'll share a straightforward definition of value in healthcare and a straightforward metric to measure that value across different services in healthcare. Like all entries, this one is up for your discussion and consideration. This podcast is looking for your feedback on value in healthcare. An Ovid, Google, and PubMed search revealed nothing similar to the metric that we're going to talk about in just about five minutes or so. Now, first, let's start with a definition of value. Here's a classic, arguably the classic, from Michael Porter. And the citation uh, for Professor Porter's definition is listed on the blog. And, and in a 
a well-known New England of journal, <laughs> in a well-known New England Journal of Medicine article, um, Michael Porter defines value in healthcare as uh, the health outcomes per dollar spent. Okay, so it's a clear enough definition, and there are several issues that prevent us from easily applying that definition in healthcare. And let's talk about some of the barriers to making something measurable out of that definition. The devil is in the details. The Healthcare Quality Podcast, bringing you keys to unlock your data. Here's some now. First, remarkably, we often don't know exactly how much everything costs in healthcare. Again, amazing, yes, but nonetheless true. With rare exception, most hospitals and health systems do not know exactly how much it costs to perform, for example, a hip replacement uh, and to perform the aftercare in the hospital uh, for that patient. The time spent by FTE, full-time employees, uh, the equipment used, all of it, nope, they, they often don't know. We often don't know. There are, of course, exceptions to this. I know of at least one health system that knows how much it costs to perform a hip replacement down to the number and amount of gauze used in the OR. Again, amazing, but true. There are other barriers to applying uh, that definition from Michael Porter. A second, uh, we don't have a standardized way for assessing health outcomes. Now, there are some attempts at this, like uh, qualies, quality-adjusted life years, but one of the fundamental problems is how do you express quality in situations where the outcome you're looking for is different than just quality or quantity of life? The quality measures outcome in part in years of life, but how does that make sense for acute diseases like necrotizing soft tissue infections, where the patient who gets that often may not be alive many more years no matter what because of comorbid conditions? Or what about other items like how to improve days on the ventilator? It is very difficult to come up with a standard to demonstrate outcomes, especially across service lines. And that's a barrier to applying the definition. Third, the entity that pays is not usually the person receiving the care. So where that definition of value includes dollars spent, well, whose dollars? This is a huge problem when it comes to measuring value in healthcare. And to illustrate the point, imagine a hospital, America's best hospital, ABH where every patient has the best outcome possible. Now, no matter what the patient comes in with, no matter how bad the condition is, they will have the best outcome possible. By every outcome metric, it's the best. It even spends little to nothing, compared to most centers, to achieve these incredible outcomes. But there's one catch. The staff at ABH is so busy, America's Best Hospital is so busy, that they just never write anything down. Now, ABH, of course, would likely not be in business for long. Why? Well, despite these incredible outcomes for patients, ABH would never be reimbursed. This thought experiment shows that valuable care must somehow include not just attention to the patients and to outcomes, not just to the voice of the patient or, in Lean Six Sigma parlance, the voice of the customer, but also to the necessary mechanics required to be reimbursed by the third-party payers. I'm not saying whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, only that it simply is. So, 
Where those are some of the barriers to creating a good value metric for healthcare, let's discuss how one might look. What would be necessary to measure value across different services in healthcare? A useful value metric, for example, would first capture how well the system it is applied to is working. It would demonstrate the variation in that system. In order to determine how well the system is working, it would probably need to incorporate the voice of the customer or the voice of the patient. The voice of the patient or voice of the customer often is the upper or lower specification limit for the system. It's the most time a patient is willing to wait in the waiting room or the longest someone should wait before they've had their colonoscopy. The ability to capture this performance uh, would be key to represent the health outcomes portion of the definition. And nicely, using the voice of the customer, voice of the patient, that uh, jives well with much of the modern thinking on who determines uh, what quality is and how that rolls into value. Most pundits, including myself, are saying, hey, this needs to be uh, referenced to uh, what the patients uh, feel and how the patients feel about uh, different items. Second, this uh, idealized, this metric, a good metric for value, should be applicable across different service lines and perhaps even different hospitals. This requirement is very important for a useful metric. Can we create something that captures outcomes as disparate as time spent waiting in the ER and something like patients who have not had a colonoscopy but who should have? Also, an ideal value metric in healthcare would incorporate cost as an element. This item, too, is required for a useful metric. How can we incorporate cost if, as said earlier, most health systems can't tell you exactly how much something costs? So with that, let me discuss a proposed metric called the Healthcare Value Process Index. Healthcare Quality Podcast, focusing on data and decision-making tools for healthcare quality improvement. An online search did reveal uh, some uh, metrics that have even been trademarked called things like the Healthcare Value Index, etc. Things with sort of similar names, and so we stayed away from that with this one. This is the Healthcare Value Process Index. Uh, and what this measures is very different uh, than some of the uh, ones that seem to have uh, similar names. Here, let's define the healthcare value process index as 100 times the CPK uh, divided by the COPQ, where the CPK is the CPK value for the system being considered. COPQ is the cost of poor quality for that same system in thousands of dollars, and 100 is an arbitrary constant to help the scale of it uh, so that the numbers aren't, uh, when, when we calculate these, uh, 0.0000 something. That 100 uh, kind of adjusts it so that the, the, the numbers, the index, the indices um, are don't have as many leading zeros to lead to confusions. Yep, that's it. So let's take a minute and, to, and discover and explore the use of this new value metric. Well, first, the CPK is well-known in quality circles, and it's a representation of how capable a system is 
uh, in delivering a specific output long term. It gives a lot of information, a lot of useful information in a tight package. The CPK in one number describes the number of defects a process is creating. It also incorporates the element of the voice of the patient or the voice of the customer. And it uses that important element to define what values in the system are acceptable and which are not. In essence, the CPK tells us clearly how the system is performing versus specification limits set by the VOC, voice of customer, VOP, voice of patient, etc. Of course, we could use sigma levels to represent the same concepts. Weaknesses? Yes. Uh, for example, some systems follow non-normal data distributions. Box Cox transformations or other tools would be used in those circumstances to apply the CPK. So, for each healthcare value process index, it would make sense to specify where the VOC came from. Is it a patient-defined endpoint? Is it the government endpoint saying, you know, trauma surgeons have to be in the trauma bay within a certain time of arrival? Uh, where does the VOC come from? Which VOC uh, are we accepting uh, for this healthcare value process index calculation. So that would usually need to be in there, but it recognizes uh, the VOC. And again, that can also typically be from the patient. That's it. Not a lot of mess or fuss. And that's because when you say the CPK is some number, whatever it is, we have a sense of the variation in the process compared to the specification limits of the process. We know how whatever process you're talking about is performing. From systems as different as time spent peeling bananas to others like time spent flying on a plane. Again, healthcare colleagues, here's the bottom line. There's a named measure for how well a system, uh, how well a system represented by continuous data, like time, length, etc., is performing. There's a name for a metric that, that does that. The system works for continuous data endpoints of all sorts. So let's use what's out there and not reinvent the wheel. By the way, if you're wondering why this doesn't suggest the CP or PPK, uh, there are links in the blog that explain what those are and just have confidence that you are way beyond the level most of us in healthcare are in with process centering and measurements of process capability and centering. Have a look at those links, pass along some comments on the blog, and uh, if you feel one of those metrics might uh, be more appropriate or applicable, let me know. Let's talk about it. Okay. And now for the denominator of the healthcare value process index, the cost of poor quality. Remember how I said earlier, health systems often don't know exactly how much services cost. Well, they're often much more able to tell us when costs decrease or when something changes. Now, in fact, the COPQ captures the cost of poor quality very well, according to four buckets. It's often used in Lean Six Sigma and other quality improvement systems. With a profit and loss statement and some time with the finance team, the amount the healthcare system is spending on a certain system can usually be sorted out. For more info on the COPQ and the four buckets, take a look at this article uh, from the Healthcare Financial Management Association, and the link is in the blog. The COPQ is much easier to get at than trying to calculate the cost of an entire system. When the COPQ is high, there's lots of waste, as represented by cost. When low, it means there is little waste, as quantified by cost, to achieve whichever outcome you're looking at. So this metric checks all the boxes described earlier for exactly what a good metric for healthcare value would look like. 
It's applicable across service lines. It captures how well the system is working. And it represents the cost of the care that's being rendered in that system. So let's do an example. Did you know the HQP is on SoundCloud and iTunes? Visit us there and at the podcast's home, surgicalbusinessmodelinnovation.com. Pretend you're looking at a sample of times the patients wait in the ER waiting room. The voice of the customer says the patients, no matter how not sick they may seem, shouldn't have to wait any more than two hours in the waiting room. Now, of course, it's just an example. That upper specification limit for wait time could have been anything that the voice of the customer said it was. And by the way, who is the voice of the customer that determined that upper spec limit? Could be a regulatory agency, could be hospital policy, could even be the director of the emergency room. Maybe you even sent out a patient survey and the patient said no one should ever have to wait more than two hours. When you look at the data you collected, you find that 200 patients came through the ER waiting room in the time period study. Uh, two, only two, waited more than the upper specification limit. Two defects per 200 opportunities, which is a DPMO, defects per million opportunities, equivalent to 10,000. So now let's look at the CPK level associated with that level of defect. And you can use a chart to convert CPK to sigma level to uh, defects per million opportunities. Lots of ways to do it. But here you learn that the CPK is approximately 1.3. Now what about the costs? Well, we look at each of the four buckets associated with the cost of poor quality. So first, the surveillance bucket. Turns out that an FTE takes 10 minutes of their time every shift to check how long people have been waiting in the waiting room. In real life, there's probably a lot more surveillance of the waiting room going on than just 10 minutes for one FTE per shift. But let's pretend for the example. Okay, so those are the costs required to check in on the system because of its <coughs> level of function, because uh, it's of your need to surveil it for quality. What about the second bucket, the cost of internal failures? Well, that bucket includes all of the costs associated with issues that arise in the system, but don't the ones that don't make it to the patient. In this example, it's the costs attributed to problems with the amount of time a person is in the waiting room that doesn't cause the patient any problems. For example, were there any events where one staff member from the waiting room had to walk back to the main ED because the phone didn't work and they didn't know if it was time to send another patient back? That's an example. Didn't hurt the patient at all. Did the software crash and require IT to help repair it? These are just a couple, and there are plenty, of problems with a system that don't make it to the patient and yet have legitimate costs associated with them. Now, the third bucket, as you probably know, is often the most visible and most high profile, and it includes the costs associated with defects that make it to the patient. Did someone with chest pain somehow wind up waiting in the waiting room for too long and require more care later than they would have otherwise? Did someone wait more than the upper spec limit and then the system incurred some cost as a result? 
Those costs are waste and, of course, are due to external failure of waiting too long. The last bucket, my favorite, is the costs of prevention. As you probably learned before, this is the only portion of the COPQ, cost of poor quality, that generates a positive return on investment because money spent on prevention usually goes very far toward preventing many more costs downstream. In this example, if the health system spent money on preventing defects, some new computer system or process that freed up the ED to get patients out of the waiting room, that investment would still count in the COPQ. It would still be a cost of prevention. Uh, however, if there were no defects, there'd be no need to spend money on other measures uh, like surveillance, etc. And that's the way that putting money toward prevention has a positive return on investment. Now, of course, you wouldn't need to spend money on prevention if the system didn't make any defects. But that doesn't mean that funds spent on prevention are a bad idea. Again, a dollar put toward prevention saves much more uh, down the line in quality uh, improvement and uh, in the system. After all of that time with the four buckets and the P&L, the total COPQ for this example is discovered to be $325,000. It's actually a very typical size for many quality improvement projects in healthcare. Now, to calculate the healthcare value process index, we take the system's performance, CPK of 1.3, multiply it by 100, and divide by 325 because it's the COPQ in thousands of dollars. So we see a, a healthcare value process index of 0.4. Now we remember that the upper spec limit was 120, 120 minutes, and came from the voice of the customer who we list when we report it out. So uh, again, this uh, metric gives us a sense of uh, putting a number on the value delivered by the system, and it also uh, makes us highlight uh, who the upper spec limit came from. In this case, the voice of the customer uh, was a 120, and that was from the patient. So we'd report this healthcare value process index as a healthcare HVPI of 0.4 with VOC of 120 from patients. Doing that allows us to compare an HVPI from institution to institution or to know when they should not be compared because the upper spec limits are different. It helps keep it apples to apples, which can be very useful. Now, imagine the same system performing worse, a CPK of 0.7. And system even costs more, a COPQ of $425,000. What's the HVPI? 0.0165. Easy to see, it's bad. How about a great system for getting patients screening colonoscopies in less than a certain amount of time or age? It performs really well. The CPK of 1.9, it's awesome, and has a COPQ of 200,000. It's HVPI 0.95, much more valuable than either of the other two. Perhaps even more useful than comparing systems with this metric is tracking the metric for a service process and seeing value change over time. After all, no matter what costs were initially assigned to a service process, watching them change over time with improvements would likely be more valuable. Meaning if the same items are looked at on the P&L over time, 
even if you don't feel you got them all or you got too many when you first calculated the HVPI, if you use those same ones later and you watch for changes in the metric, well, it can highlight real increases in value. If the CPK improves and the cost of poor quality go down, you'll see a higher HVPI over time, and it indicates increased value uh, in the system. At the end of the day, the HVPI is a simple, intuitive, straightforward measure to track value across a spectrum of healthcare services. It helps clarify when value can and cannot be compared across services. Calculating the HVPI requires knowledge of system capability measures and clarity in assigning the cost of poor quality. Regardless of initial values for a given system and different ways in which you all may assign costs, uh, trending the HVPI may be more valuable to track the trend of value for a given system. So, questions, thoughts? Do you hate the arbitrary 100 constant in the uh, calculation for the HVPI? Well, say hello and uh, leave your thoughts. I sure do hope you found this useful as we all wrestle with the problem of how to measure value in healthcare. Thanks for tuning in to the Healthcare Quality Podcast. Are you using these tools for healthcare quality improvement? 